We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is going on? It is your boy Mike Focci here, and later today I will be joined by Eddie Gill of Fox Sports Indiana, as well as Jackson Gatlin of Locked On Rockets. Woo! In the wise words of Ric Flair, we are coming off of a epic comeback win. Just when you thought, for maybe a tad second, that you can count the boys out, they came roaring back from double digits. They were down by as as many as six points with under 30 seconds to go. And they make the comeback. I'm sitting in bed. I'm watching it. Got Babe passed out right next to me. Trying to be as quiet as I possibly could be. But I was coming out of my own skin. Screaming, bang, bang. Just after the deep Oladipo three. Then all of a sudden, Oladipo gets the steal. Kicks it over to Brogdon. Brogdon kicks it to Turner. Miles Turner with that Fake did the whole sales job right there, sold no receipts, nails the three, we're going to overtime, it was epic. And then the Pacers take care of business in overtime, Malcolm Brogdon with a game winner over Eric Bledsoe, you know that it meant just a tad bit more to Brogdon to be able to hit it over Bledsoe, Bledsoe's no slouch, there's an all-NBA guy, but come on. Let's not uh, you know, forget that Milwaukee chose Bledsoe over Brogdon when it came down to it. And I think Brogdon remembers, put up the picture on Instagram of him you know, face-to-face with Eric Bledsoe right before he drives to take that, that shot. So, gotta love it. But hey, before we get into that game, I'm going to bring in Eddie Gill. And who better to dissect that win than Eddie Gill? coming right up all right everybody we are now joined by eddie gill of fox sports indiana eddie what's going on today not much uh you know day after a big win so that's always nice um yeah just uh enjoying the day like it'd be nice to have some sunshine but other than that it's all good 
<laughs> that it would. And, you know, we got to take what we can get. And uh, in terms of that win that you're talking about, I mean, that wasn't just any win. The Pacers stormed back last night against the Pelicans. One of the best comebacks in recent memory. They erased a 10-point deficit with roughly two minutes to go, a six-point deficit with under 30 seconds ago. However you want to look at it, it looked like the Pacers clawed from the depths of defeat to come back. What were your thoughts last night? Yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it. That I would say that fourth quarter, um, especially the beginning and towards the middle of it, anything that, that could go wrong uh, was going wrong. Um, and, and all of a sudden they just righted the ship. And and obviously you got to make tremendous plays down the stretch to, to make, have that type of comeback and really uh, pull the wind out. And they made every play down the stretch and um, they had to have them. They were able to make them. It's true because it felt like it was a sluggish fourth quarter. We've honestly seen a few of these fourth quarters not really go the way that we hoped. But when it absolutely mattered most, the Pacers made every play that they had to make. I mean, we had a couple missed three-pointers just right before that. There was a Justin Holiday miss. There was a Brogdon missed three-pointer. It really felt like it was over. And Chris Denary did a great job digging up this stat that I, I don't know if you're aware of, but uh, NBA teams over the last 10 seasons, when they were trailing by six points or more with under 30 seconds to go, they were 8,104 and two. And the Pacers just beat that stat. Wow. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a mind blowing stat. And I can always count on Chris to come up with some of the, the most bizarre statistics. He definitely uh, does a fantastic job of, of finding them. And, and yet, I mean, the, you're pretty much done uh, when you, when you have something like that, that's so daunting. But um, one thing we've seen about with this team over the last couple of years is um, regardless to what's going on in the game or even in the season for that matter, they're going to come out and compete uh, until their zeros on the clock. They really have. And what I love most about this team is most most teams, you know, you'll rely on your star player, the guy where you know the ball is going to go at the end of the game. But now we've seen Sabonis hit a game winner. Miles Turner send the game to overtime. Oladipo's had numerous clutch plays. And now Brogdon had the game winner in overtime. How rare is it to see this many guys with this high level of confidence with the game on the line? Extremely, extremely. I think uh, you, you see a team now that's uh, really uh, trusting each other to to make the necessary plays to, to win games and stay competitive. And then down the stretch, if there's another guy who has a hot hand or, um, they, you know, they go to that guy. So this is, this is a team that trusts each other. They play well together. Um, and, and right now you have two guys who can make plays in the closing moments of the game in, in Malcolm Brogdon and Victor Oladipo. Uh, two years ago, we saw Victor do it time and time again uh last year in, in Victor's absence uh, Malcolm Brogdon was that guy who was able to make plays whether it was scoring it or, or finding a teammate um to have them both in the lineup healthy is, is a tremendous thing for the Pacers to look forward to it really is and we're going to touch on Vic a little bit later but right now you know back to that Malcolm Brogdon game winner in overtime look it, the shot I don't you tell me from a player's perspective but that shot didn't just go in on on anyone that was Eric Bledsoe someone who's made all defensive teams the last two seasons and you know if you think to Brogdon that's the guy that Milwaukee elected to pay over Brogdon and I don't know some players kind of hold that a chip on their shoulder do you think it meant a tad bit more to hit that shot over Bledsoe well without a doubt I mean you um you you have competition 
you know, within the team at all times, right? So even when you, you know, you have teammates and you go to practice, you're competing each other against each other hard. Um, and then when you go to another team and then you go back and see that guy, you're going to compete against that guy even harder um, just because you, you want to get the upper hand. And to have that moment where it's one-on-one, no pick and roll, no, no anything, <laughs> an incredible hesitation move. And, um, you know, the floater was tremendous. And you, and you hit it right on the head. I mean, Eric Bledsoe was one of the best on-ball defenders we have in the league. Does a great job on the perimeter. Um, you know, forces Malcolm to hit a tough shot. Very tough shot. Needed all the balances he could possibly have. But, hey, it went in the end. That's all that matters. And, you know, one thing that the box score is not really going to show as much is the newfound confidence in Miles Turner. He hit a, a huge, a such a massively clutch shot to send the game to overtime and had what felt like so many deflections and blocks and things that just aren't going to actually register as blocks in the box score, but has Miles Turner, is it just me or is that confidence really evident this year? Yeah, tremendously. I think he's doing a, a great job of playing with confidence and, and um, you know, as any player, when you play with confidence, you have a, a higher likelihood of, of success. And that's definitely what he's doing. Uh, stepping into shots with no hesitation. Um, defensively, he's incredibly active. You know, we talk about him, you know, leading the league in, in, in shot blocking, but, you know, I'm sure they have assistant coaches on, on the bench that are charting deflections, um, shots that he changes at the rim. You know, when I'm watching the game, I, I see guys have an opportunity to get to the basket sometimes. They may have a, an edge on their primary defender, but they see that Miles is down there and they don't even take advantage of it because they don't want to go deal with it. So they move the ball another direction. So when you have that kind of impact on the game, you know, that's not even coming close to getting into a stat sheet. And, and your people don't recognize that, um, you know, it just makes that much more uh, impact on, on what your defense is able to bring to the table. Without a doubt. I mean, he's leading the league in blocks by a wide margin, but there's still, just like we talked about, so much he's doing that's not showing up that you really need to see it with your own eyes to believe it. And because at the end of that game, Zion, he had some wide eyes where it looked like he was going towards that basket, trying to really throw it down almost as hard as he could basically about two different times and miles altered both of those shots. So do you think this is the year that he's finally going to get that true defensive player of the year credit? Because a couple of years ago, we were really let down when it felt like he was maybe going to run away with it. And I think he fell outside of the top three in voting. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely going to give himself an opportunity. He please, he continues to block shots like this. Um, I, I will say that a lot of, a lot of times they're giving it to guys who are averaging double digit, you know, high double-digit rebounds as well, in addition to, um, you know, how they protect the rim. So, uh, you know, he's going to have to wrestle some of those rebounds away from DeMontis and Bonus to, to, so. uh, to, to get into that category. But, you know, from a sheer um, rim protection standpoint, he's as good or better than anyone in the league. Without a doubt. Uh, it's it's He's running away with the blocks title this year, I feel like, so far. So awesome to see. That's something that he's really kind of inherited as his own. And it's great to know that he wants more than just blocks. He knows that's not going to be enough to win the Defensive Player of the uh, Year award. So love where his head's at there. But I got to give credit where credit is due, and that's Victor Oladipo. He truly looks rejuvenated offensively this looks like 2017 Vic and he has been you know no slouch defensively either but offensively this guy is back he's putting up nearly identical numbers from 2017 as a society are we too hard on players for their injuries and how long it truly takes them 
to get back to competing at the highest level? Yeah, sometimes just in general, uh, there's there's unrealistic expectations put on guys um, to to do X, Y, or Z, whatever it may be. Sometimes things are just unrealistic, and um, you know we don't really understand what it what the recovery may be like for especially some of these more significant injuries, like like Victor Oladipo had. There's only a handful of guys who's ever had that type of injury that he had, um, but he is definitely rounding out to, to the to the form that we saw him two years ago in that all-star form, being able to score, penetrate, make plays, you know, explode, explosion at the rim. And, um, you know, one of the, his biggest factors and biggest attributes is what he does on the defensive end of the floor. Um, a, a, a lot of those things sometimes go unnoticed. You know, he leads the team in, in charges, charges uh, taken. He's got to be up there in the league as well. This is something I've talked about with, with what he does. He's brought that to the game since he put on a Pacers uniform. Um, and that just shows a, a high defensive IQ. So right now, uh, Victor's playing tremendous basketball. And, um, you know, we just hope he stays healthy and, and, and they continue to do that because uh, with he and Malcolm out there on the floor together, um, obviously they miss T.J. Warren, but um, – you know, Justin Holiday, Aaron Holiday, you know, some of these other perimeter players that they're able to, to, to pick up and really just contribute um, just collectively. No, it's true, Beast. I was going to bring that up next. TJ Warren, just that guy who was really took like the NBA by storm in the bubble and really became, started to become a household name over there with the play that he was, you know, displaying. Um, he's dealing with that, that plantar fasciitis injury. It started, then they elected to have surgery. Don't know how long that timetable is going to be. It's believed he's going to miss most of the season. Do you have any experience with that type of injury and just how difficult it could be or if not properly addressed? Yeah. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough in my playing career to, to, to get through without any major significant injuries. I did have a, a more mild case of plantar fasciitis. And, and basically, you, they, the doctor tells you you cannot go barefoot anything like at, at any time. You, you, get, you, you almost sleep with some shoes on. But, wow. you know, literally, literally, you get out the bed, you have to put something on your feet to, to um, you know, kind of protect your feet, shower with, 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 with uh, some slippers on of some sort, those types of things. But he clearly has a more significant version of it. I've been around teammates would have a more significant version of it and it, it basically it cripples you so if um, you don't get it repaired as, as he did and, and hopefully makes a full recovery um, you know you're just playing in, in tremendous pain and, and obviously you can't be effective like that so um, I, I do believe in, in, in that he's going to make a full recovery because he's the type of guy that's going to put in the work so um, you know the patients will miss him undoubtedly because as you mentioned in the bubble he absolutely put on a show and um and he did prior to that. You know, he's a guy who's averaging 20 a game. He's been a scorer since he's touched basketball. <laughs> Everywhere he's been, he's been a scorer. So just as a collective unit, they're going to have to make up for T.J. Warren's loss. Oh, definitely. And, you know, when you describe the injury like that, I mean, it feels near impossible to be able to play at a high level. So I think that the Pacers are, are lucky enough to have enough guys in place that I think they, they could buy them some time. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Justin Holiday, Doug McDermott, even Jakar Sampson played some quality minutes last night. We're seeing McDermott kind of have a little bit of a career year so far. It, it's early in the season. Justin Holiday, just a great person, to, a great player and person to bring back to the team. Do you think those three kind of have uh, enough to be able to go with a strength and numbers approach to buy some time for Warren? 
I do. I do. And I think this this team has played a uh, a real uh, genuine team brand of basketball over the last couple of years and, and obviously early part of this season. So I, I see that they continue to do that. Um, and then also you're talking about a guy that like Jeremy Lamb, hopefully at some point he's he's back healthy as well to to, to make up for the loss of T.J. Warren. Not, not sure what his timetable is, but um, hopefully it's sooner than later. But you know, even without him, that you see guys night in and night out, they step up uh, regardless of, of what the situation is. If, if someone's hurt or, or not, foul trouble, whatever it may be, um, guys are banding together and making it happen. You know, it's true. When you talked about a new brand of basketball, this Pacers team, I know we're only a few games in, roughly like seven games. They're very fun to watch, and it's given a little bit of that feel of that 2017 2018 team, even though it's early in the season. But, you know, you're talking about a new system right now, Napierkin system. How refreshing do you think this style has been for these players? Because it's been no secret how often they're praising Napierkin. Like Malcolm Brogdon has nothing but glowing reviews. Oladipo, it, it seems like what was, you know, ran reports in the offseason about being unhappy. It seems like he's pretty happy right now. He's saying all the right things, and this team is buying in. How refreshing has this coaching change been with no knock on Nate McMillan? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a, a fan of Nate McMillan myself. I thought he did a, a great job and built a, a great culture and and, and and everything. But 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 you're right. Sometimes there is a, a fresh start that's needed for whatever reason, um, and and that's what the Pacers have right now, and and they are definitely in in a in a honeymoon uh, phase of of the relationship in terms of you know everybody kind of loving on each other, and and you'd much rather have that than some players you know may not be happy with the coach's move or you know they they don't like the new system or whatever the case may be. It's, is quite the the contrary right now. Um, everyone seems to be very happy with, with the system, um, the, the coaching philosophy, the coaching approach. And uh, Nate Bjorkman himself just seems to be a, a real positive, genuine person. Um, so right now, yeah, things are going you know fantastic, and, and hopefully they continue to go do that way. So far, I love everything I, I've seen. Even some of the little things I think are just going a long way. But, you know, the game's change, and just like anything, you have to adapt and change with it. We're seeing these Pacers teams put up well over 43s a game numerous times now. I mean, does it feel too much, or is this the change that needed to be made to get with the modern times of the NBA? Yeah, you know, as the the game has evolved to the to the three point shot and the emphasis on it, I haven't uh, come all the way around as of yet. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a proponent of quality, good looks. Mm -hmm. So, if you get 50 open three point shots, you take all 50. Uh, but but do not by no means do you go out and, and you know make one pass and, and force up an attempted three point shot is um is kind of my mindset. Um, but they are playing faster. They're they're getting up and down the floor and and they are trying to attack the paint and kick those kick kick the passes out you know for some of those open three point shots. So, but uh, I'm of the mindset of a fundamental basketball. If you draw multiple defenders, you kick it out to a three point shooter. You shoot it 100 percent of the time. Um, so that that would be my philosophy, and and kind of, and I think that's what the, what the Pacers are, are gravitating towards and trying to get to that. Um, and, and I think you can get more three point attempts by attacking the paint. It, you know, you don't get three point attempts by just calmly dribbling the basketball down the floor and making one pass and jack up in a contested three. That's that's not a quality shot. But if you're playing fast and under control and, and manufacture open looks, I, I think that's a, a great band of ba brand of basketball. I agree because it, it has been nice to kind of cut down some of those long twos. Like, for instance, I saw a stat recently that 
Miles Turner has really kind of cut down those long twos, and he's now shooting above 70% from within the arc. So a number like that just feels like they're taking smarter shots. But just to your uh, extent, it doesn't all have to be threes. I mean, I, I listened to a podcast recently. Iman Shumpert was saying that in Houston, there was one time he stepped on the line, made it, but really got reamed out that it wasn't a three. And, you know, it's like he still made the shot, but in Houston, yeah. you know, they're all about the three-pointers, and it just feels like luckily we're not there yet, but it is nice to see an uptick in threes after the Pacers were, I believe, a, a bottom three team in uh, three-pointers attempted last year. They might have actually been last. Um, so that's been encouraging to see. But when you're talking about running the ball, well, running it just a lot more on the court, you know, this Pacers team, they've come out strong in nearly every third quarter, which has been great to see. Last year, it's not the case. Um, but do you think that's actually leading to them maybe stalling out, getting a little bit tired in these fourth quarters? Maybe they need to get their legs underneath them a bit more, get the conditioning up. It is still early in the season. But do you think that could be a result? Yeah, yeah, that could be a, a result of, of what they're doing um, in, in the fourth quarter, coming out with such energy in the third and kind of stall out to some degree in the fourth um you know so yeah that definitely could be it and, and you're right it is early in the season so there's a difference between you know practice and training camp and and then actual real game shape um and then especially the schedule that you have now you're playing virtually every other day um you know and that makes in a little bit of travel now i know the patients have been home for the most part of, of this season as of yet but uh you start throwing in some travel in there you know you're going to really start to condition uh, test your conditioning no, you definitely are, and that, that's something I've been keeping an eye on because I noticed that they have been outscored in the majority of the fourth quarter so far. In some games, it hasn't mattered as much, but just been something I've been keeping an eye on. But I'm definitely encouraged to see the adjustments being made at halftime, coming out strong in the third. But in a game like last night, it was evident that the rebounding issue, it's, it's getting there. I mean, the Pacers were out-rebounded on the glass by 15 rebounds, and they've had that as a struggle you know, at times. Do you think this is something that could plague this team, or is this going to be more of like a collective effort to fix the rebounding issue? It, it's definitely a concern. It's been a concern over the last couple of years, but the, the Pacers have been so good in so many of the other areas, they've been able to to compensate for that deficiency. So, um, you know, having said that, you still want to try to focus on it. You know, guards come in and, and help, you know, some help some of the big guys. Big guys do a better job of, of doing their job as well. Um, it's not something that you just want to be content with and say, hey, we're going to get out and rebound about 10, 15 rebounds every night and, and, and be great in these other areas and be okay. Um, by no means you, you take that approach, but it's, it's something you, you just, hey, go out every single night and try to improve on it. Yeah, that's, that's all you can really do. I think it is going to have to be a collective effort because, you know, we don't know the status of Goga and we can't put that pressure on his shoulders to just get healthy and fix the rebounding issue just being a big. It's just not going to – it's not that simple. But – uh, at, before we wrap up yesterday's game, and what were your thoughts on a guy like Zion Williamson? Because, you know, that was one of the first times I've been able to really watch a full Zion game and be able to kind of dissect it. And, yeah, I left impressed. I mean, this guy I read through 25 games. I believe only Allen Iverson had more career points in the first 25 games. Yeah, he's he's a matchup nightmare, and he gets them in bunches. Um, you know, you put a big guy on him, he can take him out on the perimeter, and he moves far too fast for a guy of his size and stature. Um, you know, he's he's a freak of nature. And if, you you know, you decide you want to put a, a smaller wing on him, he just punishes him in the paint anyway. He just backs him down and gets to where he wants, wants to get, and he scores the basketball. So, um, 
yeah, he's just he's just a, a specimen of an of an individual. You know, I'd love to see him stay healthy and, and see what he turns into as a player. Definitely someone that I'm rooting for. Hey, you know, being in the Western Conference doesn't affect our Pacers at all. So that's right. I, I wish him nothing but the best. And you gotta love when there's the hype on a player like that and they back it up. I mean, unfortunately, we've seen at times where players have, you know, dealt with injuries that have kind of robbed them from being able to live up to number one draft status or whatever it is. I think New Orleans did a great job resting him, taking it easy. And from what we've seen, I mean that he truly does have a special talent. Um, but as we're looking at the rest of the Eastern Conference, we're seeing Brooklyn look, you know, pretty strong. Sure, they're still figuring some things out, but Kevin Durant looks like Kevin Durant coming off of the torn Achilles, and that is amazing to see. The Bucks, they're going to be a problem to deal with. Miami, they've had a little bit of a sluggish start at times, but it looks like they're going to be just fine. And Boston and Philly look like they're going to be two teams that are going to be strong in the end. Is there something that you feel that this Pacers team might be missing? Um, yeah, as in terms of missing, I don't necessarily think that they're, they're missing anything. You know, obviously we discussed the, the rebounding, uh, issue that's at this point, they're, they're only true deficiency, you know, maybe if you want to nitpick and sometimes they're not getting to the free throw line as much as, uh, they would like to, or anyone would like them to. But, um, I think the, the collection of talent and the, the, the many options that they have on the offensive end of the floor to go and make plays, I think is a tremendous attribute and the, and the depth that they have with their benches is, is really strong. So, um, you know, with all those teams you named, I think they can be right there in the mix and in the hunt to, to finish in the top four and, and, and ultimately, you know, begin to, you know, host a, a first round at home. Yeah. And I, I would love to see it. I think just like you said, I don't think they're missing anything. I think they're just missing their starting five playing together because it's been something that injuries, unfortunately, have not allowed that starting five to really, you know, develop that on-the-court chemistry. I think when they've played in limited times, you can see it. But if you just add a healthy T.J. Warren, a healthy Jeremy Lamb, and I think if Goga is able to contribute, you know, just about anything at any time, I think this Pacers team is really deep. And for that, I'm really excited. I just hope that TJ Warren can hopefully be back for when it matters most and we can still have the ability to rest Oladipo, not really play him in the back-to-backs. And basically my last question when as it relates to injuries, are you worried at all of Malcolm Brogdon playing a high amount of minutes after a year where he's had about seven different injuries? No, I think you you got to just go play. I mean, you, you can't um... – you know, be concerned with, with the what ifs at, at this point. Um, you go play and, you know, if you, if you decide that a guy is healthy, and that's for any, any guy, if you, if you decide that he's healthy, you go out there and play and, um, you know, and, and, and see, and see what happens and hopefully you have great success. Um, now are you going to play 40 minutes a night? You know, probably not going to do that. Um, but in an off occasion where there, you know, the, the, that night dictates that happen, um, then, then so be it. But, you know, I think they have a, a rotation that's been somewhat set and the guys are playing um, their set minutes and their starter minutes and, and those are, are what they are. So uh, you don't, don't think you go into any game or any season, um, you know, saying, hey, what if this guy gets hurt or that type of thing? Yeah, no, that's true. It's definitely something that, uh, you know, last night called for him to play, you know, 45 plus minutes. You needed it. We needed, you know, every last shot of him, of his down to the very last, which was the game winner. So, you know, I'm not going to knock that call one bit. Uh, but, Eddie, as we're wrapping up over here, how weird does it feel to not have the fans there? I mean, it's got to be pretty strange for you. 
I'm sorry, repeat that last part. I was saying it's got to be strange to not have the fans there. How has that been for you oh, yeah. and, and what you're used to? Oh, yeah, it's 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 a whole new world. Uh, no question about it. No pun intended. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's very different, um, you know, especially when we talk about a place like Banker's Life Fieldhouse. And, you know, I can only imagine what, um, you know, what what it would be like in there with some of these games that they've had up to this point. But um, I think the the guys have adjusted well. I think the the bubble was a kind of a, a great experience for guys to see what it's like. Where you need to get some internal internal motivation to go out there and play, and don't depend on what the, the the fans for energy and that kind of thing. Um, so they've adjusted well and going out there and competing every single night. But um, yeah, it's different. <laughs> it is it is definitely different, and uh, and everybody is desperately waiting for the fans to come back. Can't wait for it. I mean, I think at this point we've kind of just gotten used to what it's like now and, and to hear that roar of the, cr the crowd back when everything's normal and safe again it's going to be really exciting and really give the Pacers that advantage again so Eddie I want to thank you so much for coming back on and I wish you nothing but the best of luck for the rest of this Pacers season and everything and great health and uh, hey thanks a lot thank you for having me it's been a pleasure really enjoy it all right, everybody, we are now joined by Jackson Gatlin of Locked On Rockets. Jackson, what's going on today? Nothing much. I'm excited for this uh, upcoming Rockets-Pacers matchup. It's going to be really great. These are uh, two teams that are currently neck and neck leading the league in points, you know, dunks, layups, attempts right at the rim, shots in the paint, um, you know, all those categories. It's either Rockets or Pacers right there at the top of the pack. So uh, it's going to be a really, really fun, uh, cutthroat, heavy paint scoring game, which will be uh, all sorts of fun. Very well could be. So the Rockets are coming into Indiana at two and three. Now, I know they had a couple of players miss some time early on due to um, not testing positive for COVID, but, you know, coming into contact with people who did. I know John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins missed, uh, you know, Kenyon Martin's son uh, missed some time, but not that, you know, you're expecting much out of him yet, but you also have a lot of new pieces coming together. Christian Wood, someone who I love his game. Everybody on setting the pace knows that I was hoping there could possibly be some way to get a sign-and-trade for Christian Wood, you know, in the offseason. It didn't happen, but Houston, I think, was one of the real winners bringing Christian Wood. You also bring in John Wall to Marcus Cousins. What has it been like so far for this Houston team to come together? Well, there's going to be, you know, anytime you bring in or, or anytime you you completely level um, what was existing, you know, the season prior in, you know, Mike D'Antoni left, uh, Daryl Morey left. So you bring in new coach, uh, Steven Silas, first time head coach who deservedly, you know, finally gets his chance at running a team. Rafael Stone steps into the GM spot. You bring in a bunch of new faces. Um, it, there's going to be some growing pains uh, alongside that. And Steven Silas, you know, he has a, a similar offensive system to uh, to Mike D'Antoni, but there are some notched differences. And so what we're seeing right now is we're seeing some of the growing pains, both offensively and defensively for this team, because they just haven't had enough reps together yet. But the talent level is there across the board. Um, I've been saying that I think this is the most talented Rockets team since that 2017-2018 squad that won 65, win or 165 games and uh, took the eventual champion Warriors to to seven games so you know this team has a chance to really make some noise um 
early so far, John Wall has looked healthy. Boogie Cousins has looked healthy. Christian Wood has looked amazing offensively, leaving a little bit of something to be desired uh, defensively and in the rebounding department a little bit. His numbers look good, but just watching him on a game-by-game basis, uh, there's just some room to grow and improve there. Uh, But this team is talented, and it's going to be a fun game. It is going to be a fun game. And for Christian Wood, I think that he's taken just such a solid step forward that, to be honest, a lot of people I don't think were watching Detroit Piston games uh, last year when he started to really take off. I think that's I think he's someone who actually would have made a solid a bit more money if he had played in the bubble because I feel like he was really taken off You know when league play halted in March. And clearly you can see he's been working on his game a lot. But from an outside point of view, when you're looking at the Houston Rockets, the first thing on everyone's mind is going to be the James Harden situation. Now, Harden, it seemed like he really wanted out, and maybe he still does, but how has things been since Harden has come back? Because on the court, still the the leading scorer in the NBA. The man is beyond talented, but do you think things are starting to settle in and that it'll work out this year, and maybe you could resolve that in the offseason? It's tough to say whether or not things are going to, you know, really settle down and quote unquote work out. Um, the best case scenario for this Rockets team was just get the season started see what version of James Harden you were going to get. If you were going to get a mopey, sad James Harden who was going out there and mailing it in every single night because he hadn't been traded and being detrimental to the, you know, to the to the betterment of the team, then yeah, you you might have to suspend him or sideline him and then, you know, expedite the trade process. But to this point, James Harden has been a consummate professional, albeit with the little blip to start the season with the Vegas videos and, you know, being late to training camp, but he has been in Engaged. He's, you know, taken the young players under his wing. You see him every dead ball, every time out. He's engaging with his teammates. He's coaching them up. He's explaining certain things to them. And so he, and he's playing like James Harden. And that's all you can want for him is you, you want him to go out, be the James Harden. You know that he can be because if he plays that way, with the team that is now around him this season, they are far too talented to not make some serious noise in the Western Conference. So I do think that whether or not James Harden, you know, really buys in and, and you know chooses that Houston is the place that he does want to be playing, he might still want to play somewhere else, and that's that's totally fine. He's got two years left on his contract before the player option, and he likes basket. He's too he's too much in love with the game of basketball to I think you. Know, you know, not show up and be a professional about it. So, you know, he's going to show up, he does his job and maybe they make some noise this year and it's enough to convince him, Hey, this is a place that's worth staying. Maybe they don't do a good enough job and he still wants, wants out next summer, but I don't think the Rockets are going to move him unless they're presented with truly a King's ransom of a package. And they shouldn't because you're not going to be anywhere near as good in the immediate future or even in the distant future if you trade James Harden. So they're going to run it back. They're going to keep it going this season with this group of guys. And so far, it looks good. It's a two and three record out the gate. But that record betrays how talented they've looked for stretches during some of these games. Oh, absolutely. You do not trade James Harden for anything less than a godfather offer. And when you were hearing... You know, he wanted to go to Brooklyn, and but then Brooklyn was going to trade Duran or Kyrie. It's like, well, then we have no deal. You know, you can't just trade him for, for pennies on the dollar. I mean, James Harden is, is too good 
to ever quit on a season like what people might have thought in the beginning of the year when he wasn't showing up and, you know, the questions about him being in, in shape or not. This man is one of the most gifted players to ever play the game. So I wouldn't think that he would throw anything away. When you mentioned two and three, the Houston Rockets, they beat the Kings twice and they lost a very hard-fought overtime game to the Portland Trailblazers. I believe that was when uh, Cousins and John Wall did not play. And then they also lost to the Mavs and the Nuggets. So three, you know, really good teams, three playoff teams. So while it's early in the season at two and three, I'm not going to fault them at all. But what has been your early thoughts on John Wall? I mean, two years he's been gone from the game. The man's still putting up over 20. He's shooting 47%, which is really good for him. I mean, do you think that to, to trade Westbrook for Wall and a first-round pick that you guys might have came out on top here? The Rockets absolutely won the trade, and that's not to discredit uh, Russell Westbrook at all. He's a future Hall of Famer. He's a great player, but the fit was a little questionable, and the fit's still going to be a little questionable between John Wall and James Harden, but Wall gives you a bit more of what you need in a guy next to James Harden than Russell Westbrook does, and you're still seeing uh, – they've only played together in two games now, but you're still seeing – uh, moments between John Wall and James Harden where they're trying to figure things out, whether, you know, whether they're, uh, you know, being a little tentative at times, trying to defer to the other. And that's exactly what we saw for the early part of last season with James Harden and Russell Westbrook trying to figure out how to play together again, two very ball dominant guards. Um, but he's looked healthy and he's looked explosive. He defensively is a gigantic upgrade over Russell Westbrook from, you know, a from the point of attack angle where he's just a much better perimeter defender, which is going to shore up the Rockets defensive numbers as the season progresses. We've got too much of a small sample size right now to really draw any sweeping conclusions about how things look defensively. The team still has to work some things out. Again, Christian Wood has shown some issues on that side of the basketball. Um, but as this team gels and really gets more real game reps together, more practices in, and they become better as a cohesive group about what their defensive identity is going to be, because I think I think they're still trying to figure that part out for the most part. Um, Wall is going to be a big part of that. Be, being able to have good point of attack defenders is huge in the NBA. Um, and then offensively, again, he has looked explosive. He's able to get to the rim almost at will. Um, the biggest question is going to be, how does his shooting hold up? Um, so far, it's nothing to write home about. But if he can be at least a like decent three-point shooter in the 32 to 34% range um, rather than sub-30s, then that's good enough to at least keep defenses honest to where they can't not guard him on the perimeter. Yeah, nothing to write home about is definitely the, the, the proper term for John Wall's three-point shooting. I mean, it's never been something that... He's uh, been known for, but in the past, yes, he has had seasons where he shot, you know, right around 35% and above. So I do think that he's going to be better than the, the 26% three-point shooter that he is currently. But back, going back to James Harden right now, look, if the Pacers are going to beat the Rockets, they're going to have to at least slow down James Harden. And that's not something they've been able to do. Last year in the two games against Houston, I'm going to throw out a couple stat lines for you. James Harden had 45 points. 17 rebounds and nine assists. Now, Michael Brogdon didn't play, but at the same point, still, that's a ridiculous stat line. And then before that, 44, 8, and 5, another game where Malcolm Brogdon, I believe, uh, left early in that game. Um, so if Houston's going to win this game outside of Harden, what do you think's happening for the Rockets to be successful? 
Well, it, one major difference between this version of this Rockets team and, and the versions that we've seen over the past two or three years is James Harden doesn't have to come out and, and drop a 40-burger for this team to have a chance to win. Now, does that help? Absolutely. But this team has enough talented, uh, viable scoring options past James Harden. You've got John Wall. You've got Eric Gordon. You've got Christian Wood, who's a walking 25 and 10. You've got DeMarcus Cousins, who is you know a really solid contributor off the bench for this team. You've got the 3 and D guys on this roster where any of the, the wide open threes that they're going to get over the course of a game is, is like a cherry on top of the offense that you're already getting out of that top four or five guys. Um so Harden may be in store for a bounce, a, a strong bounce pack performance, which would be nice. He just shot five of seventeen in the loss against the Mavericks. Um, looked like maybe that ankle that he rolled in the game prior uh, against the Kings uh, was a little bit uh, was bothering him a little bit. Maybe. Uh, or I apologize. The the two two games prior, he missed uh, the second game against the Kings, but uh, with that specific ankle injury. So you know, looking at. At, at what Harden can do. Yeah, we, we know that he's going to be capable of putting up a monster night, but it's what the rest of this team can bring to the table, both offensively and defensively. Th this is something absolutely to look out for if you're a Pacers fan is – there have been two stretches now this season where there was a stretch against the Kings where the Rockets held the Kings scoreless for almost four minutes straight. Um, and then there was a stretch against the Mavericks where they held the Mavericks scoreless for almost five minutes straight by utilizing what we call the uh, tuck wagon or now the newfounded version, the Tate wagon lineup, which if you're familiar with Rockets basketball at all, it's essentially the small ball scheme that they were running last season after trading away starting center Clint Capella and committing to PJ Tucker as the starting center, where nobody was taller than six, seven on the floor. They switched everything, positions one through five. And those two stretches against the Kings and Mavericks were really impressive because it shows, A, that this team can throw different looks out there defensively to really mess with what the other team's trying to do. So at some point in this game, you're going to see a stretch where Christian Wood isn't out there and DeMarcus Cousins isn't out there, and they're playing small with either P.J. Tucker or Jay Sean Tate at the five spot. They're going to switch everything, and it's probably going to cause some problems for the Pacers offensively. It very well could, and I got a lot of respect for P.J. Tucker. I really do. I know Tucker's uh, had some comments about not knowing if he's going to be there in the future plans for Houston, and I feel like that guy is doing so much of the dirty work for Houston that, you know, as, a, as just an NBA fan in general, you have to respect it because last year when you mentioned that stretch that they had and he's playing the five, I mean – Whew, that man had his hands full on a lot of occasions, and I felt like he did a really good job. And right now for the Pacers, what I love about this team is, sure, they lack your true superstar. No, we don't have a James Harden, but this year we've seen a game winner from DeMontis Sabonis, who's playing really well. We saw a game-tying shot from uh, Miles Turner yesterday to send it to overtime. Then we saw a game winner from Malcolm Brogdon, all while Victor Oladipo is looking to regain the form from a couple years ago. He's looking real good this year compared to what we saw last year. So who is it on this Pacers team that would worry you the most when you're talking about from a defensive matchup, if you're saying Wood struggled at times, but you are going to go small ball? Is there someone that sticks out most to you? Oh, it's it's going to be Sabonis until the Rockets go small. Um, depending on how they how they line the matchups up, um, don't be don't be surprised if P.J. Tucker actually finds himself guarding Sabonis a good deal this game. Um, early in the season, the second game against the Nuggets, um, early in the game, Christian Wood was getting abused by Nikola Jokic down low. Um, and it's not like Jokic to, 
I don't know, to, to operate out of the low block for like a majority of the game. You know, sometimes you see him operating out of the high post, you know, as the passing threat, creating the offense for the team. He doesn't necessarily run everything out of the low block, but he was doing that at the start of the game because Christian Wood just could not do anything about it. Then they switched it up and put P.J. Tucker on Jokic, which helped a lot because even though P.J. is giving up uh, the height battle there, size-wise, P.J. Tucker can at least keep Jokic stationary and doesn't get abused because P.J. Tucker's walking around at about... 240, I don't know. Um, so PJ Tucker's probably going to guard Sabonis a little bit, um, but it, there's going to be situations where Wood does find himself on Sabonis, and those are going to be uh, matchups heavily in Sabonis's favor. Uh, he's going to probably abuse Christian Wood anytime he gets matched up with him down the floor. And when the Rockets do commit to going small ball, um, that's going to be, I think, where we're going to see you know stretches where Tucker, Tate, Harden maybe are going to be guarding, guarding Sabonis a little bit. And those three guys are all very excellent post defenders. Even though they're not quite as big as Sabonis is, they're excellent post defenders. They use their size really well. They're strong, even though they're smaller guys. Um, they're just completely built for guys at, you know, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, uh, so I think that's what we're going to see. But, but Sabonis is going to be the guy who's probably going to have a monster night against this team. Oh, yeah. And I, I am. I'm not going to lie. I am licking my chops at that matchup because Sabonis has truly been in his bag this year. Once again, having a career year, if you ever have a moment to look at his stats, somehow he's found a way to improve in just about every single statistical category every single year and this year he's added a three ball to his game shooting about two and a half attempts per game but he's shooting 53 percent from three and that's something that you have to be extremely encouraged by one of the better passing big men in this league so just so much of our offense goes through Sabonis and I love it but also this is a Pacers team right now currently having three guys averaging over 20 points per game I know that the Rockets have the same but for us you know that that's that's not as common. I know you guys obviously had Russ averaging 27. Harden was over 30. You know, last year, I think it was like over 35. But, you know, for us, this has been a really well-balanced approach. Nate Bjorkman has brought in. He's really rejuvenated the Pacers. And we're kind of taking a page out of the Rockets book. Now, not necessarily to your extent, but the Pacers are shooting far more threes this year. They've had numerous games where they've put up over 40 threes per game. Does it kind of feel like everyone's kind of taken a page out of the Rockets style lately? I mean, basically, right, is is Mike D'Antoni kind of uh, set the precedent a few years ago by really uh, dialing it up to 11, the number of three-point attempts that the Rockets were going to start, you know, getting up there on a nightly basis. I see right now, um, you know, it's actually crazy. The Rockets are shooting less threes this year under Steven Silas. Um, they averaged 45.3 attempts last year per game. Uh, and then that number actually shot up to over 50 a game in the bubble. This season, the Rockets are down to 38.2. I see the Pacers are sitting at 35.6 after, if I'm correct, I think the Pacers actually, like, trailed the league in three-point attempts last season, if I'm remembering oh, oh, correctly. It, it was brutal. It was about 28 per game, so... You know, shooting about seven more threes per game right now has has been, you know, a solid amount more. But it's also the last few games the Pacers are shooting a lot more threes. So they're above that 35 average. Yeah, and I think one thing that we're seeing is obviously the entire NBA does trend that direction. But the thing that Silas is trying to really uh, institute with this team is – 
you know, he doesn't just want to rely on, on the three ball as exclusively as they have in the past. He's operating with a lot more motion in his offense. There's a little bit more off ball movement than, you know, in previous years with Mike D'Antoni, there's a lot more cutting, um, some backdoor actions and plays getting, getting layups right at the rim. Uh, some plays operating out of the, out of the post between DeMarcus Cousins and Christian Wood, uh, getting James Harden moving off ball. And all of these things are great in theory. In practice, there's been some clunkiness to it, specifically this last game against the Mavericks um things just you know things got really bad they they isolated way too much there was not nearly the level of ball movement there was in the first four games of the season even in the absence of some players like John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and Eric Gordon which we've already kind of brought up a little bit um so it's going to take time for for this team to gel and really understand the inner workings both both offensively and defensively defensively of what Steven Silas is trying to accomplish um, but it's not the same Rockets bull. They're not going to send up 53 pointers in one game. You're going to see a lot more movement. It's not going to be James Harden is the sun and everything is revolving around him. It's just not the same team anymore. And it, it does provide for a, a breath of fresh air, an exciting new look version of, of Rockets basketball. And that's good because I was going to ask you if you felt that that style of play can truly win a championship because a lot of people, they disagree, and they don't think that that style can. You can't have it all be about one player, and I, I like where you're saying that this Houston team is going because it does seem that you kind of do have to dial it back a little bit and kind of let your other players contribute a lot more, and, and that's where I do like the addition of Christian Wood, and I do think that John Wall could be a player that, you know, while he's not a great three-point shooter, it felt like Russell Westbrook basically stopped taking threes or at least just stopped making them. Well, it, it, it you know it, in the Rockets' defense and Mike D'Antoni's defense and James Harden's defense, right? It almost did win a championship. It almost you know, did. The, the, you know this team, you know, pushed the Golden State Warriors, you know, a, a historically all-time great team to the brink. And mm -hmm. it, here in Houston, right, the the adage, you know, being a hamstring away gets thrown around oh, yeah. a lot, and that was the difference. Is they finally, after after really pushing down the door that 2016-2017 season about dialing up the threes and really focusing on that style of play where everything ran through James Harden, they then brought in Chris Paul, and Chris Paul was that secondary option. He gave them a layer to their offense to where it wasn't only threes, layups, and dunks generated by James Harden it was okay this is what James Harden does when he's on the floor and then when Chris Paul runs the show you get a little bit of a varied offense you get some set plays being run you get Chris Paul in his mid-range game which is kind of the um I refer to it as the safety valve at times because look when you need a bucket when you just need a bucket at the end of a game you know it doesn't matter what the uh what the analytics say whether or not a three is better than a two you just need the ball to go in the hoop and a a, a mid-range two-point shot from Chris Paul who historically shoots over 50 percent from the mid-range is a better quality shot than a step back three-pointer from James Harden where he shoots you know somewhere in the 35 to 40 percent range and so, or, or a three-pointer from anybody else on that team for that matter. So Chris Paul kind of was that safety valve at times at the end of games in the clutch to kind of just keep the scoreboard moving when the threes weren't falling. So when that wasn't there in game six and seven, because of his hamstring injury, the Rockets were exposed because they played that way the entire year. And it looked really, really good all year until they suddenly lost their second best player. So I think draw, trying to make it a referendum on that style of play isn't necessarily fair when we didn't get to see it play out because of an unhealthy Chris Paul and it was beyond unfortunate because our generation truly grew up watching Chris Paul and it felt like 
for a guy who never got to play in the NBA Finals, it felt like that was probably his best shot because I do think they would have beat Cleveland uh, in the NBA Finals. And, it, man, just a really rough moment because for Chris Paul to, to be at the point of his career now where he's been traded a few times, doesn't have that coveted ring, do you really think that that was probably his best shot? And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen next, but in the end that'll probably have been his best shot at a ring. It really, it probably was. And, you know, I, I'm I'm disappointed at how his chapter closed in Houston. I wish he had started his uh, plant-based diet a year earlier because he looked really bad that second season. And, mm-hmm. you know, understandably, I can get where James Harden was coming with the frustrations, you know, seeing his running mate and Chris Paul just not look good for an entire season, couldn't show up in the playoffs at all until that final game six where, Unfortunately, Steph Curry went supernova. Um, you know, I feel like we've gone down this rabbit hole of Rockets playoff uh, tragedies, unfortunately, but that's just kind of where we're at. But this team now that the Rockets have, that the Pacers are getting ready to see for the first time uh, Wednesday night, it's going to be a good team. You know, it's talented. They've got a lot of uh, great options on it, and it should be a fun basketball game. It very well should. And as we wrap up, one guy who I've always had a lot of respect for, Boogie Cousins. We've touched on it before a little bit earlier, but Boogie and missed all of last season. He's had some of the worst injury luck you could possibly imagine. I know he got tossed out of the last game, you know, back-to-back technicals, only got to play a few minutes. I don't think he'll ever be the player that he was, but what can we expect out of Boogie Cousins moving forward? Well, you know, the expectation doesn't need to be – he's not – you know, there's no expectation for him to return to his pre-injury all-star mm-hmm. level form. If he does, that's just, that's a total added bonus. But what you get out of Boogie is you get a savvy veteran NBA big who can space the floor offensively. So they keep running that five out style the entire time, whether it's Christian Wood at the five spot or Boogie at the five spot, you get a bigger body in DeMarcus Cousins who can go up and bang against some of the other truly bigger NBA centers like Jokic, Embiid, those kind of matchups. Um, and you get, uh, he's just a smart veteran player. You know, he's never been a phenomenal defensive force, but he's crafty. He's got good hands. He understands how to box out, how to rebound, um, and having him on the roster to both kind of coach up and train up Christian Wood, you know, take him under his wing a little bit is huge, but to also just have him, you know, in there as he's, he said all the right things as a locker room presence, which has been kind of surprising. It's been, you know, interesting to get to know Boogie a little bit, uh, as he's been, you know, talking with Rockets media and all that stuff, uh, just kind of getting a feel for him as a person. Um, he, you know, he's been kind of a standout there. So he's going to be a consistent contributor off the bench for this team. And he's going to have some spot minutes where maybe he even closes, uh, you know, certain games, depending on a matchup, uh, if it's favorable for him to be out there as opposed to uh, PJ Tucker, maybe, or maybe he'll close some games alongside Christian Wood with Wood at the four spot. Uh, that's definitely a possibility, but they're getting a really good player in him. And I think that, you know, the relationship that he has with John Wall for those two guys, uh, two Kentucky guys, to be able to team back up in the NBA here in Houston, it's going to be a special thing to watch uh, their chemistry and their, their on-the-court product develop over the course of this year. And I got nothing but but respect, and, and I'll always be rooting for Boogie Cousins. As we wrap this up, give me your prediction on the score in this game. Oh, man. Um, you know, pred- final prediction score, um, I hate doing these because I always feel like I'm going to just completely whiff on them. Uh, the Rockets have shown a little bit of variance offensively, so they haven't been putting up quite the numbers that they used to, and that's that's what I'm also trying to get used to here. Um, I'm going to go 
Rockets fans might kill me for saying this. I feel like the Rockets are actually going to drop this game. I really do. I think this is going to be another kind of game that they drop. I'm going to go Rockets 104, Pacers 109 or something like that. Um, Kind of a lower scoring affair a little bit. Uh, and I, I just think that this is going to be another one of those games where the Rockets drop it and have to revisit some things, um, but get the get the wheels right on the train uh, coming home uh, against the Magic on Friday night. Okay, I'm going to go with uh, hey, you know, call me biased, whatever it is. I'm going with the Pacers, one seventeen, one fourteen. I just think that the Pacers are playing some really good basketball right now. Third in the NBA in field goal percentage, ninth in points. I, I really like what they're doing from assist standpoint. They're top five. Uh, I just feel like they're playing good, balanced basketball right now. And I think, like I mentioned before, I think Houston's still trying to come together a bit. So, hey, in the end, James Harden going off for 45 again changes everything. That's what he's done the last two times against the Pacers. So we'll find out. But, Jackson, I really appreciate you coming on. Tell everybody where uh, they could find you on social media. Absolutely. You can check me out for all my uh, Rockets takes and everything at JT Gatlin. Of course, you can check out the show at Locked on Rockets, available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Store, wherever you listen to your podcast. Definitely be sure to check it out if you're interested in anything James Harden, John Wall, and all things Clutch City. Thanks a lot, Jackson. Have a great one. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. want to give a huge shout out to our guest, Eddie Gill and Jackson Gatlin, for joining Mike Focci today. On the podcast. Unfortunately, I was unable to join Fachi today, but I'll be back with Fachi on Thursday. We're going to talk with Scott Agnes and talk about the Indiana Pacers game against the Houston Rockets Wednesday night and preview this upcoming weekend. So, hope you guys have a safe and wonderful rest of your week. Follow us on Twitter at setting the pace three at underscore facci and at Alex Golden NBA. We'll talk to y'all later. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.